0: Welcome to the Agents of Innovation Podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation Podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 79. Well, back on episode 78, we had a man of Polish descent, Adam Andrzejewski. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Well, today we don't even have a man of just Polish descent. We have a man who was born in Poland. So this is a little Polish theme, I guess, we're working through here on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Today we're going to hear from Marcin Jakubowski. Man, these Polish names, I just got them down, don't I? I'm not going to say it again. Anyway, Marcin Jakubowski is our guest coming up here on the Agents of Innovation podcast? He is the founder and executive director of Open Source Ecology. We are going to really learn a lot more about how you can build a self sustaining home, a self sustaining farm. You can actually have um, basically, he's identified about 50 machines that really. Take it, what is really what it takes to live more of a self-sustaining lifestyle, and then you can really kind of uh, duplicate and copy these machines uh, through some of this emerging technology. So I'm just gonna leave that all for the interview, and we'll hear a little bit from Marchin uh, very soon here. So stay tuned. Also, at the end of this episode, we're gonna hear from Andrew Leahy, who was our guest way back a little more uh, than a year ago on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, Andrew was on episode 55, and we've had a few of his songs played on this podcast. So we're going to hear one of his songs called Fly Over Country. And I was trying to think of a good song for this episode, and I thought, you know, Martin Jakubowski actually might have lived in Poland where he was uh, born and raised until he was about 10 years old or so. But he now lives in what his wife calls the middle of nowhere Missouri. Actually, only about an hour or so outside of Kansas City. But feels like the little middle of nowhere when you once lived in Newark, New Jersey and maybe Poland. Um, And also now you're living on a, you know, you're building a farm and a community and all these things. So uh, I thought, well... I guess in some ways, Marchin lives in what Andrew Leahy might call flyover country. So we're going to hear Andrew Leahy's song Flyover Country at the end of this episode. And if you want, go back and listen to episode 55 to hear the great interview with Andrew Leahy last year. It was actually one of my most fun musician interviews. And I just saw Andrew in early June in Nashville. Uh, We did a, a, a conversation with Andrew Steve Everett Matt Brown, Amy Gerharts and Mark Cleveland. And we're going to be bringing that interview to you on the Agents of Innovation YouTube channel in the coming weeks, so stay tuned to that. Be sure to subscribe, not only to this podcast, whatever you're listening to, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, be sure to hit the subscribe button right now If you haven't subscribed yet, this will help you get the very first alerts to the next new episodes of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I also encourage you to flip back through the other previous 78 episodes if you haven't listened to those yet. A lot of great stuff, a lot of people from many different professions. And also, go to YouTube and type in Agents of Innovation podcast, and you'll find the Agents of Innovation YouTube channel. And subscribe to that. We We'll be releasing, you know, a couple of new uh, YouTube clips every month. Some of them will be clips from our podcast uh, episode. So uh, the latest one we had was with uh, Chris Mueller, where you'll have little clips, little video clips of Chris Mueller, uh, player for the Orlando City Soccer Club. By the way, side note, since he was on the podcast in early June, uh, Chris Mueller has been quite the star out there on the field during the MLS's back tournament. As I am talking here... Uh, They have reached the quarterfinals, uh, the Orlando City Soccer Club, and Chris actually was the star player in the first two games. So we, um, we really know how to pick them here on the Agents of Innovation podcast. So anyway, be sure to go to YouTube so you can see some of these upcoming clips and conversations that we're having with some of our past guests. We're bringing some of them together in conversation with each other, and we're really forging this as a community, really not just a podcast, but a community of innovators. So stay tuned, a lot more coming in that realm as well. But now we're gonna get to a really great interview with Marcin Jakubowski. And boy, do I have these Polish names down. Okay, I wanna welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Marcin Jakubowski. Uh, Of course, uh, with that name, you can tell that's a Polish name, uh, Marcin Jakubowski, and uh, he was born in Poland, came over to the United States as a kid, and he is now the founder and executive director of Open Source Ecology, has a PhD in fusion energy. Marcin, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you, Francisco.
0: Well, Marcin... uh, We are glad to have you as well and i find it interesting your story coming from poland as a child uh it was in the early 1980s right tell us a little bit more about what it was like to to grow up in poland
1: yeah so 1982 that was still the time of the berlin wall before the collapse so it was a great communist country um yeah i mean it was a little rough you you'd have to wait in line for food during that time and uh you when you live in poland you you also have the history of the second world war with you. So like, for example, my grandmother was in a concentration camp. My grandfather was in a Polish underground derailing German supply trains and things like that. So wow. that culture of, of deprivation, um, yes, yeah, I've seen some of that. And that definitely influenced my outlook on open source or open collaborative <laughs> development.
0: Yeah. I mean, because, uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting, very closed economy there in Poland at the time. And yeah. uh, uh, this part of one of the Soviet states at the time. Um, well, it's interesting, Martin, because you came. Now, you all migrated from Poland to, mm-hmm. uh, was it New
1: Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey, Newark, uh, graffiti ridden streets of Newark. It wasn't The streets weren't paved with gold like we, we would think. But yeah, I lived in Patterson, New Jersey. Then there was actually a hotel fire there that we survived. There was actually a bunch of deaths there, like 14 people died in that.
0: Wow. You were in the hotel?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of those things where at that time, so I was, I guess, 11 and really thought, okay, what's meaningful in life? Like, as Because we, we were waiting up on the eighth floor of this building for wow. like hours until we were rescued. And that was one of those near-death near, near death experiences where you kind of think like through that and after that, like, wow, what is really important? You know?
0: So you came with your parents. Uh, did you have any siblings?
1: Yeah, from- my brother... My parents. So we moved to Kearney, New Jersey, uh, went to Kearney High School, then went to Princeton University undergrad and then University of Wisconsin grad for the fusion PhD. Yeah.
0: Wow. So um, very interesting. So as a as a kid or when was your when's the when was the first job you ever had? When was that?
1: I had a paper route since sixth grade through Elementary, high school, and college I actually kept that in college. So it was more like ten years of that. So that was a thing. I always kind of had money uh, lying around, so I, that wasn't an issue. Uh, just because I was working myself, and yeah, so that was first job, but different than what I'm pursuing today.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I don't. I don't know what because so, I, it, it's like I've had a lot of. No, I've had a lot of guests on the Agents of Innovation podcast where I asked them what their first job was. I've actually had quite a few people that have had a paper route and I don't know what, I don't know what that's about. Cause I feel like in the year 2020, uh, hmm. a young person right now probably would not even know what a paper route is. Huh, uh, and it, and it wasn't that <laughs> long ago. I mean, we're not that old, so come yeah. on. Uh, but anyway, um, I just find that very interesting. Well, what, what was one of some of the things you learned from, from that first job that maybe you took with you into, into the rest
1: of your life? Um, I think efficiency is actually one of them. Cause after doing a paper out for so long, it's like you get really efficient at it and learn how to cut corners, not cut corners, but really do it efficiently and fast. So I think the insights of efficiency as an economic principle, I think that's definitely relevant in what I do today. And in fact, like if you talk about, you know, one country being prosperous and another not so, what is it? It's about the operating systems, the governance but also part of that is how things are done, efficiencies, that's definitely critical to a modern standard of living that we have today.
0: So you graduated from the University of Wisconsin with a PhD in fusion energy. What was your next steps after college?
1: Yeah, so right after that, uh, pretty much took to the land. So the farther I went in my education, the the more useless I was feeling in terms of solving pressing world issues. So uh, thinking about At that point, I actually started think about ideas of collaboration, open collaboration, because in my PhD program, I wasn't able to talk openly, for example, about my work, which made me question this whole system of how we we operate. Even if at the public institution, you can't really talk openly about what you're doing, how must that be throughout the rest of society? So somebody introduced me to Linux back in my group, the open source software system. And the, the insight for me was it's like, wow, okay, there's different ways to do things. There's, there's uh, different options of how you can do different things. And given that science wasn't doing it for me, I said, okay, let's do an experiment of what a truly collaborative system would look like. So started open source ecology right after I uh, finished grad school with the notion of, um, how do you make the w- world better for everybody? Because in my PhD program, I felt, no, I wasn't, doing it and we're studying such theoretical things that um, made me really question what I was doing and completely switched and got onto a raw piece of land after that and started the project
0: well let's go back to that time in in uh, grad school where you said yeah. you weren't uh, able to openly talk about some things and what was that because yeah. I don't know the site you know tell us well, to, so, to people who, of those of us who aren't exactly scientists what, is, what, what was mean? it that was kind of controversial to talk about
1: Oh yeah. Well, it was just our subject matter of the research. So we were doing fusion energy. We were studying turbulence in fusion tokamaks and so forth. So there's research. I have no That's idea what fusion. that means. Yeah, it's it's basically <laughs> about how do you how do you create a sun on the earth? So okay. how do you har- harvest the create the energy, the fusion reaction, just like on a sun? How do you do that on Earth? And how do you do that? In a way that you can trap the energy. Well, we had some insights about oh, well, how that how the the turbulence process in one of these reactors would look like. It's just getting deep into the details of that turbulence and these reactors. But because we had some cutting-edge material, I was not able to simply talk about what I was doing in detail to anybody because they might take that idea, publish it, and we'd be cut out of grants and whatever. So that kind of competitive environment was there. And now that's one side that influenced my thinking, but also on the other side, it's like when you get to grad school, you start talking a lot about theoretical stuff. And it was certainly the case with fusion. And one time I went to a professor asking, what's this long equation mean? And he said, well, it just actually doesn't mean anything. I just made it up. So this crazy stuff where you're studying stuff that doesn't even exist when there are real problems on a planet, that wasn't right to me. And that's, that influenced my thinking a lot.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting because there, there definitely is that kind of contradiction in some ways in, in education is, is how practical is it, right? I mean, uh, to yep. be used rather than just learning for learning's sake. Or
1: well, well yeah. So I came from Poland and I, I came to America in incredibly prosperous country. And I, I thought, well, why does it have to be like one country is completely deprived and another is absolutely prosperous? How does that happen? How can we use all that knowledge that we have to make everybody's life better? And that was the contradiction I ran into, seeing that, well, no, it's the way we're studying things and, you know, going into this abstract theoretical studies, it's that's not where it's at.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so then you took to the land uh, yeah. what, uh, and you started a farm, right?
1: Yeah, started a farm in Missouri. So that was when i learned so so back in the phd since i was somewhat alienated from my program i started to study all this alternative stuff and open you know not open source but agriculture permaculture renewable energy and all these progressive topics of how you could achieve prosperity for everybody uh, buckminster fuller and all this this kind of stuff appropriate technology and then when i got to the land i found that wow that was all books that was still didn't do it I, we were basically pretty much annihilated by weeds that grew and equipment that broke down. And that's the story actually with the tractor that broke down and uh, so I found that, Mm. okay, on one side, you don't have access to appropriate long life equipment. Two, I didn't have any really practical skills. Uh, I read all the books, but I was completely unprepared for what was to come.
0: (laughs) So uh, why did you start the farm? I mean, is that something that a typical PhD in fusion energy does, start a farm? (laughs)
1: No, that's rather the exception. But the idea there was if you're going to try, so I was thinking about the big picture of things. What would society look like in a framework where everybody o- collaborated openly? There were no such things as patents, like in academia, you'd be working on real meaningful problems and all that. So uh, to start think, start actually beyond thinking, doing something about it. Well, you got to start with, okay, how do we live and survive? So that means, okay, land, there's housing, there's agriculture. Agriculture is like the first thing that you got to feed yourself. And how do you then build up technology? So start thinking about uh, what a better civilization would look like. So naturally to, for any civilization reboot experiment, you're going to need some land. So that's what I did, got the land and started experimenting.
0: Great, and then uh, I guess you had. I know you had some issues there. You talked about the tractor breaking down and and, and other things, and and that led you to yeah uh, to to start investigating. Doing Appropriate
1: what? Technology in a in a yeah. real significant way. So that problem was okay. So I got a tractor, then it broke. Old tractor broke paid to get it repaired then it broke again pretty soon i was broke too as i say in my ted talk and by the way which is a good four minute introduction to the whole project if you want to take a look at that
0: so if you just, but, if somebody just goes to the ted.com and just searches your name margie yeah. jacopowski yeah search for the
1: global global village construction set open source blueprints for civilization so that's the kind of work that this led into was okay if that's a problem that i had i'm sure i wasn't alone in this and it must be persistent. So I decided, well, let's see, if I'm going to solve this problem for myself by actually starting to build my own equipment and building in my own machines, then uh, I can solve the problem for everybody. So now getting into the entrepreneurial spirit, okay, here's a problem. Um, I didn't really look at it as as the entrepreneurial scheme because I, I kind of uh, came at it more from, this is kind of like fire in my pants. I need some things like right now, um, which is somewhat entrepreneurial, but wasn't driven by, this thinking the business thinking saying okay now i've got a problem we're going to solve it here's a solution here's the value proposition that's that came later uh and i certainly think of like that more more like that right now but at that time it was about solving a pressing need for myself and and others through um built actually really building tractors for others
0: mm-hmm. yeah so that how did that experience lead you to starting open source ecology
1: yeah so Uh, more like that that started me on the idea of the global village construction set saying okay well what are the some of the most critical infrastructure building machines and tools that we all need to have the modern standard that we live with everything from your tractors to your bread baking oven to circuit making to everything that that our society revolves on energy everything else so I said well let's let's take a stab at identifying some of the most critical critical machines and open sourcing them so that anybody who wants to build a sustainable farm sustainable community or even bootstrap an entire economy from 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 the ground up can do so readily and that that is a powerful idea it relates to leapfrogging in the developing world it re- revolves around prosperity in a country like ours, where we still have the fourth world. We've got our impoverished areas aplenty in this country. Uh, so what could we do with uh, with making technology accessible to the, the common man, especially like that you can repair the things because right. if you don't, can't repair something, you don't really own it.
0: Yeah, you know, so right now, I mean, we kind of live in a world where we buy a lot of products that do things for us uh, in some ways we're even moving to a world with a lot of ai that's that's yeah. you know um, we may all have robots walking around soon or taking care of our every need but how that seems to stand in contrast to what you're suggesting, but tell me what uh you know that maybe people become a little more technically technical uh, savvy, if you will.
1: No, it's it's actually not a contradiction. Uh, I mean, robots already serve us, like for example, a robotic vacuum cleaner in this house. Mm -hmm. But no, the idea is that uh, part of the global village construction set is automation and computer numerical controlled fabrication, 3D printers, industrial robots. I mean, that's all in there. It's just about making the technology accessible to everybody. So actually right now, if you talk about artificial intelligence or computer vision, CV, AI, I mean, all of that is actually open source. A lot of that content is open source. So we can certainly apply that and use it in a good way. I mean, that's, that's always the key. Any powerful technology can use towards our benefit or towards our demise.
0: Yeah. So speaking practically, you know, in this current time of the, the world going through this COVID-19 pandemic, I've seen a lot of movement of people, people mm-hmm. deciding I mean, a lot of people in New York City, for example, just saying, yeah. boy, I've had to deal with this in a city, lockdown, I'm getting out, I'm going to another state or I'm going, or maybe even somebody in another state that's in a city. I know some people in South Florida, for example, mm. who are saying, hey, I'm gonna move to the country in North Florida and yeah. I'm gonna start a farm or I'm gonna just live a, a little more self-sustaining lifestyle so I don't have to be dependent on other people or have to worry about, you know, a lockdown or this or that, or a job, corporate office, whatever. People are making a lot of uh, changes right now. And somebody listening might say, hey, I kind of like this uh, idea of building my own sustainable home and community. Uh, What what are you seeing out there and how can someone go about doing it? What would be their first steps?
1: Yeah. So actually right now, the question about supply chains definitely comes up a lot. The idea of what it takes to have a resilient economy, like because we've seen a lot of perhaps failure in this country and elsewhere on that. So people are thinking about this. The first step is, I mean, get involved in this. So, I mean, it's a mind shift to simply say that you can actually do all this stuff. Like for example, when I first built the tractor, it's like, you, at first you, you're, you look at it and it's like, wow, that's impossible. But then you start breaking things down And you say, well, a tractor is literally, okay, it's this frame, this box with wheels, there's a power unit and so forth. So first you have to recognize that this is within human capacity and that a lot of times the things we use are such black boxes and the way people design things are all wrapped up and you can't even mess with it. So we're indoctrinated to think that, oh, this is like some engineer, crazy scientist did this and it's not us, but... I believe that true democracy relies on people being much more aware about more in control of their technology base so that you can have the flexibility and not the dependence that you can. So first it's a it's a mind shift but then once you recognize that you can you can see that well definitely people can build their own home they can even build a tractor. In one day we've shown that. I mean we've shown how you can take 12 people and in one day you can build one of our tractors. Wow. So, it's, we've seen some amazing results with this. The technology works. That's, that's one of the biggest learnings on my side. And, and it's really about, uh, my goal is to communicate that to others, to show that, hey, we can be building the things around us. We are not imprisoned to whatever somebody else offers us. And I think we see that with the mass customization, with things like 3D printing and, and robotics, uh, uh, small scale fabrication being accessible to more people that's definitely the case. So really it's, it's about switching your mindset to that of a, from, from a consumer kind of a mindset to a producer, to a creator mindset, that's the key. But other than that, you can, you can go onto our, our website and download some plans. You can start building 3D printers. You can build the tractor. We offer uh, immersion workshops where we can teach you how to do that in weekend workshops or other immersion training.
0: What is the website?
1: OpenSourceEcology.org, so you can take Op- a look at that.
0: OpenSourceEcology.org, and I think on the website you've identified about fifty machines. Yep. And yeah. so,
1: yeah, exactly. So the the global village construction set is is exactly the fifty machines that we thought were the most important, most inaccessible, most expensive, just for all the fundamental uh, things that we do in society, and. We did that as one is, OK, so you can wrap your head around these 50 things. But second, it's about developing a methodology where you can do collaborative development. So beyond just the idea that, oh, I have these 50 machines, that's not enough because new technology is not going to save you. It's, it's a mental shift. Maybe a cultural shift will save you. It's And it's about, uh, one, learning to collaborate. How do you collaborate effectively on Uh, Problems that are bigger than ourselves. Like right now with the COVID, for example, we've seen how, okay, um, how well do we know how to collaborate? That's, I asked myself that question and I found for myself even that, well, we better develop effective ways that people can work together. And that starts with, once again, the awareness that that's possible, but we're very much conditioned to think that is not the case. Just look at patents, the idea that, oh, you got to take that, patent it, hide it, don't share it with anybody. We're really indoctrinated to a lot of kind of uh, individualistic or non-collaborative thought patterns, I think are the biggest thing. So while we develop the 50 machines, we also develop the mindsets and the collaboration techniques with which people can use to apply to any problem.
0: So yeah, getting back to the title of your company, Open Source Ecology, Yeah, uh, can you define o- the idea of open source for our audience? Uh, yeah. Because I think you kind of mentioned there about you know, like you yeah. said, a patent is something you may be kind of high, but some open source, uh, it's kind of yeah. more open to more people, right? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, open source refer- comes from the world of open source software and, and we're translating that same concept into hardware, but in open source software, what that simply means is that the blueprints, the source code, like if you have a program, program, programming, whatever, like the web browser you use, right. the program, right? Uh, if it's open source you can actually take the code and look at it and examine what it does so the four freedoms of open source means that you can inspect it you can use it you can copy it and you can sell it actually uh which the last one is actually very important because without that you wouldn't be able to incentivize people to collaborate like you want to work on um economically significant products so for hardware it means that the blueprints like for example for the tractor we're publishing the blueprints we have an open collaborative process that uses the wiki, just like Wikipedia. You can edit that openly. You can contribute. Uh, and anyone can download, examine, make, modify and build to sell our tractors, our brick press, our 3d printers, our houses.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, um, you gave that Ted talk in 2010 and, uh, or 2011. You gave the TED Talk 2011, and yep. then you met your wife in
1: 2012? Yeah, yeah, I met my wife. So we actually started a, a project together here as well. So she's also another open hardware advo- advocate, Katarina Mota. Uh, so we're working on the Open Building Institute. We did a Kickstarter on that in 2016, actually, because uh, one of the things she found when she moved out here was that she needed some more space and a comfortable house to live in, uh, more than uh, the male comforts. So uh, she actually started a, a program, Open Building Institute, a project to make affordable ecological housing widely accessible. So that's a collaboration. That's definitely a great project that we're, we're actually bringing that up again. I can talk about that if you like. Yeah. So that's the uh,
0: Open Building Institute.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. A good website for the concept is openbuildinginstitute.org. But basically the concept of modular housing that you can build uh, like Legos, using panel construction that you can you can build with a small small team of people and then assemble it rapidly into place. It's actually the house I live in right now. Here, it's a 1,400 square foot house. It's it's uh, designed from the Open Building Institute, and it, we built that with 50 people in five days. So once again, the concept is uh, so 50 people, five days. Fifty Idea people
0: got together and built a, a 1,400 square foot home in five days. Five days. How wow. Do you do so that? what does that home encompass? What do you, what do you have at the home? I mean, how, how many rooms and uh, what's the it's, plumbing it's, like?
1: So it's uh, an off-grid eco home. So we've got photovoltaics. We're actually connected to the grid. We've got a pellet stove, hydronics, I mean, regular kitchen bathroom. We actually have a biodigester in here for processing waste and it's off-grid capable, uh, has water collection. You can actually look at the full design. So it's, that's at the, I can send you a link for this. So here
0: in Florida, we would be concerned with air conditioning. How's the air and heating system there?
1: Yeah, we've got an air conditioner. So we run that most of the time on a solar energy. But wow. the idea being, I mean, just the concept, it's important. The idea that in a modular design, you can have a lot of different modules that are that a large team can work together on each module and then assemble it rapidly into place. That's the kind of concept we're we're developing, we call that extreme manufacturing, where you can have these rapid builds that are not only productive, but also social. So you can get, get together with a bunch of people. We offer these kinds of events as workshops. And actually, I wanna say that right now, this is pretty exciting, but we're gonna look at uh, taking this kind of a house model, uh, create a package where you can have a thousand square foot house that you can build by yourself with a friend in one week for $50,000. That's our next wow. goal. And we're doing that, in order to do that, we're gonna create this very big collaborative design event which we are calling Extreme Enterprise uh, to pull that off. So actually gathering 2,000 people in a, in a remote collaborative event, very well scripted out for as far as what all the development points are, modular breakdown. So this is our next experiment. It's gonna actually happen in, in about uh, next summer We're planning basically to take all the stuff, all the prototypes we've done and all the documentation to refine it and turn that into a viable business model. So this really gets into this enterprise aspect, because one of the things we found is one of the challenges of open source hardware is where's the product? It takes a lot, a lot of effort. It's like a thousand times harder than software. You've got real infrastructures and real materials you're working with and people and budgets and materials. But that's the next goal.
0: Yeah. So tell me, uh, you're in Missouri. How far are you from what's like the closest major city?
1: Kansas City is just an hour away.
0: Just an hour away. So so you're there and in the sort of lifestyle you live there. Uh, with this home that you built—is this? Are you totally self-sustaining? I mean, we talked about supply chains. Do you go to? I mean, what do you? What do you uh, sort of consume? And, and yeah, uh,
1: I mean, right now until we build all the machines, no. I mean, we buy our stuff at the big box stores still. I mean, all the materials, like say for the tractor, you go to the s- steel supply and hydraulics supplies and all that. But once you get deeper into the system, once you have the precision machining to machine metal, you could be making your own engines, and then. You'd be making your own biofuels or hydrogen or whatever. So the idea of the Global Village construction set is there's also machines to turn uh, literally like the dirt and twigs under your feet into modern materials. So things like taking scrap steel and melting it down and rolling it into virgin steel. Or even the last, last, uh, last machine in the set, actually, for, for your information, is the aluminum extraction from clay. So you've taken clay, which is aluminosilicate. And you're actually extracting aluminum from that. Can that be done? Yes, if you have the energy and, and the technology to do it. So that's an example to show that, okay, even with very common substances, you can get to this advanced civilization. And that's kind of the, one of the yeah. points to show the limits of what's possible.
0: So, Marcin, uh, if someone uh, wants to learn a little bit more, you said you have some uh, sort of seminars online or what is it, some yeah. workshops?
1: I'd say, uh, so first thing, take a look at the the TED Talk and then take a look at the workshops that we offer. So we've got immersion training. You can definitely surf our wiki. There's a bunch of materials there. Uh, A good page to, to look at is getting involved, how you can get involved. So we list all the workshops and immersion training. So right now we're actually starting an immersion training program for people to start chapters of open source ecology in different locations. So right now we've pretty much figured out how to do workshops and product sales as a revenue model. So for example, right now you can buy our 3D printers. Uh, that's, that's all we pretty much have right now, but then moving on to other machines and then further on selling the tractors and other things. But we're, we're starting to sell products and do the workshops. And that's a viable revenue model that we've documented that we can now spin off other branches in different locations. So this, if you want to get super ambitious about getting involved, take a look at that program.
0: Yeah. Now, let me ask you, uh, speaking of collaborating, are there any other like organizations, maybe some charitable organizations that you've worked with? Like I could think of like uh, like a Habitat for Humanity Mm -hmm. or something really benefiting from this model.
1: Yeah, we're going to hook up with the Habitat for Humanity for the housing project right now. But no, we haven't had too much. I guess we were we're doing just a lot of prototyping and a lot of proof of concept. I think as we go forward, we're going to do more of that. There's also, for example, OSC Germany that started and they're doing some of their projects there. Uh, so that's actually a good good step forward. But yeah, definitely, uh, we can definitely walk the walk by collaborating more with others. But it's very interesting that it's it's hard to find people that do want to collaborate openly. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of times we go about, like somebody asks us, okay, I wanna collaborate on your tractor. Oh yeah, except I'm completely proprietary and I'm gonna suck this all up once you <laughs> once we develop it. I mean, you have cases like that. A lot of times people just come to this and they don't really see that this is open source for everybody's uh, mm. benefit. And then a lot of people are pushed pushed off by that. But that's not the point.
0: Yeah, so what what have been some of your biggest challenges along the way in, yeah. through this?
1: Uh, well, I would actually identify that as collaborative literacy. The idea of how people work together or not know how to work together. Um, first, the idea that, I mean, if you think about it, you know, take, take tractors as a good example. Wouldn't it be better if all the companies, uh, like hundreds or thousands of them, or cordless drills, hundreds or thousands of companies that make them would collaborate together, and come up with the best product that just kills it, that's the best in the marketplace? Well, instead, you've got a whole bunch of them, a bunch of different ones. Most of them are in fear. There's one, like, really good one, like, say, Apple or whatever. Uh, but think about this. Um, it doesn't take much to think that if we all collaborated, we would just knock out the problems to get the best products and then move on to solving bigger issues, like bigger societal issues, like poverty and crime or whatever. Uh, so what do you think that doesn't happen? And that's, that's cultural. That I right. think is the biggest block. People do not see that, that the pie is big enough for everybody. And then we could all benefit by doing that. That I think is the number one challenge that we face.
0: Yeah. So, um, what have you um, kind of learned the most through all of this?
1: Oh yeah, I, I would say the first thing is that there's a big difference between vision and execution. I gets back down to good old enterprise. Uh, you know, Starting the project, idealistically, I thought that, oh yeah, once we publish the first thing, this is gonna go crazy and sprout all over the world. Like 2008, when we did the first brick press, thought that would just go wild across the globe, but no. How many people are actually building it for a business? Nobody. Uh, It's it's there's a huge difference between a working prototype uh, or something that's near product and actual execution to the kind of scale that we talk about, because we still talk about uh, changing the world. The next trillion dollar economy is the open source economy, uh, the paradigm shift towards collaborative development. That's our big game. Uh, Now, that takes millions and billions and trillions of effort down the road to make it happen. And that is enterprise. It's marketing, it's execution. Uh, and it's building up the skill set to do that. So personally, I have my biggest learning is that I need to build up a skill set for the enterprise side. And that's what I'm doing.
0: That's great. Well, uh, this has been uh, uh, really great to learn about. Uh, I mean, almost mind blowing in some ways. I think there's probably a lot of people listening like myself to you And as I was studying a little bit about what you were up to. Like, wow, this is like just something I've never really considered um, uh, to this degree. I mean, that you're, you're doing. And uh, uh, what would you also say in this, you know uh, what can you say to other entrepreneurs out there, no matter what field they're in on, on kind of, kind of just some, some general entrepreneurial advice.
1: I'll I'll say this, the sun shines at the earth 10,000 times more power than we currently use. From first principles, there's an absolute case for abundance. And now we have big problems facing the world. So to solve them, collaborate. I mean, work with others to uh, not just your project, but open that up to say to pick a bigger problem and work with others to solve it. That's the way we're going to get through this world to make a, a better future tomorrow. So we cannot be going up about our individual projects, even like – and I'm talking about even – a Google or an Apple? No, I'm talking bigger than that. I'm talking about paradigm shift. So, so uh, think, s- stop, and think deeply about what it really means to collaborate and solve, and cho- then choose to solve bigger problems that people don't even want to talk about. Let's be very deliberate about ta- about tackling them. But for that, you have to collaborate and really open your, up yourself to that.
0: Well, uh, we're all about that here at the Agents of Innovation podcast. In fact, uh, the main yeah. reason I started this podcast about five years ago was because through a lot of the different things I was doing in my work and me- people I was meeting, I just kept hearing these really incredible entrepreneurial stories and wanted to share them with more people. And at the same time, I was just, yeah. I was also becoming a podcast listener and yeah. thought, hey, why not start a podcast where I can bring stories like, like yourself uh, to more people so they can get uh, to know you and learn about what you're doing, yeah. learn about your stories and then connect with you. Uh, so they can do that again at what opensourceecology.org?
1: Yep, opensourceecology.org.
0: And also in the show notes here, uh, you know, we'll put some of that information. And also there's a blog post that we'll put up at agentsofinnovation.org. Uh, so we'll have all all the links to your TED talks and everything. And people can get to know you and hopefully uh, connect with you. But uh, March, and, uh, we're really just... Uh, uh, happy to have you on and I'll just yeah. let you, let you, uh, leave us with any, uh, last closing thoughts.
1: Yeah. Collaborate, open up and collaborate like, um, and selfishly speaking here, it's like, look at some of our stuff. I guess one idea I didn't really touch on is the idea of distributive enterprise. The idea that like, for example, with the 3d printers that we're selling right now, we're actively teaching others how to build them and produce them as an enterprise. So think about that. When you, when you go forth in your business ventures, think about the business models around setting up other people to be the entrepreneurs. And that's that yeah. one way we, I think we can s- solve bigger problems.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, you're a great example of that. And we just uh, really appreciate hearing your story and, and thanking you for your time uh, today on the Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: Thank you, Francisco, great talking. Thank you. Trouble don't find me
2: I'm fly over country I left the devil that was us In the taillights and the dust And put some space between A tempted heart and the vices that you bring Oh, but I still hear you laugh As I read my second act Stars and satellites Crowd the clouds tonight Out where nobody goes But the light you left I feel it break my breath And I haunt this head like a ghost Do you still think as finely as you did Of a friend best to keep you hid the trouble you were made between two angels trapped in debate on the left on one and one